Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to View with Mike G, the show of life, the show of China, the show of law and pivoting and changing industries and everything in between. Today we're talking with Bill Eisler of Ming River Baijiu. Now, here's the thing. You know I like mezcal. You know I'm deeply interested into fermentation and even some classifications, DOs, if you will. This is an incredible episode because I learned so much about fermentation, starters, aging, distillation, and everything in between. So I'm going to say this as kind of a warning, so to speak, for those of you. So if you're listening to this episode and you want a crash course, detailed, not super nerdy, but a great one-on-one look into Baijiu, then stay tuned because this is an incredible thing for classifications of Baijiu based on aroma, not region, not states of production. It's a completely different thing. So, if you've got it in you to learn about spirits in a very, very detailed but beautiful way, Bill's a great guide for us here. We sip through four samples of Baijiu, including Ming River, which is incredibly estuary, like a Jamaican rum. Again, most of these episodes I've done, as you know, for the years are about people and their personalities. But this time, it's about the product and the classifications. Great category introduction. So, without further ado... I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Bill Eiler from Ming River. I first went there in 2000 on a study abroad program. Oh. So I was studying Chinese in college. At Columbia, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, Lang- language you know, and history. It looked like yeah, that. you okay. know, you know all about me. Yeah, I tried to be somewhat prepared. Right? <laughs> you're like the CIA. <laughs> no, no, that's not that, that bad. Yeah. So, so I did study abroad, and then I did internships with a law firm and a couple other summers. So I originally had planned on coming back, going to law school, oh. and having like a traditional career, if you will, uh-huh. working for probably a U.S. firm in China, doing you what know, kind of law. You know, like corporate stuff. Corporate law. Like yeah. contracts, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 And, you know, serving a lot of the people uh, doing foreign direct investment into China, I which see. was the big trend at the time, was everybody was investing in China uh-huh. and they needed people to help them in China. So that was the original plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, roughly, how old were you when this was kind of unfolding? Because this is at your studies at Columbia that you do the study abroad for how mm-hmm. a couple of semesters, I guess? Um, it was summer. Summer. Okay. Summer, yeah. Which can be brutal in China, depending where you are. Mm. 95 yeah very very brutal in beijing i yeah. remember it was all centigrade but if the temperature went up to 40 degrees centigrade they would shut down the factory so people always said that they were misreporting the weather so that oh, people would have to gosh. keep working because they didn't have ac in most of the places right yeah it was brutal that's I, so yeah i was like 19 then yeah oh so, so super young now we'll get back to this because obviously mm. your story has like many many tales to it quite mm. serpentine but for me, I remember relatively the moment where I became infatuated with Britain, mm. UK, right? 
Mm. And it's driven a lot of my musical taste, and some mm. of the aesthetic and language and all that. But for you, China is a specific thing. Now, I know yeah, it's yeah. massive, but what drew you to China? The funny story. So I got to travel a lot when I was young. My parents took me everywhere. Just as just for fun or was it for work? Just or? for fun. Cool. My dad was a doctor. Yeah. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, uh-huh. and my dad was a, a doctor. My mom was a retired teacher. Oh, cool. So not for work in any way, but he liked to travel, and my mom would go along. She didn't like my it grandfather as much, really? loved to travel, so I okay. guess that's where my father got it from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when my brother and I were kids, we got to go to Africa, Japan. Wow. I spent about a month in Europe every year. So we got to go everywhere. That's incredible, yeah. But when my parents went to China, they didn't take us. Wait, why? They said that China was not a good place for children. This was in the 80s when China was a very different place than it is now. You couldn't travel as freely. You you know had to go on a bus. Um, You know, as part of a group, you couldn't just be independent. Like when we went to Japan, we could travel everywhere by ourselves. You could do that in China. And, you know, it was much less developed than it is now, even in terms of sanitation, what have you. So they didn't think it was a good place to bring children. So they didn't take us. Oh, I can see. I can see something happening. Yeah, and, and I was, I was not, I was not happy about that. <laughs> yeah. So they, they had my grandparents, my mother's parents, come to Orlando uh-huh. and stay in our house and take care of my brother and me while they went to China. And after they were in China, you know, I missed them. My grandparents managed to get them on the phone, which was kind of a big deal to have a call to people in China right. in the mid '80s. So it probably cost quite a bit of money. Yeah had them on the phone and said, you know, I really want to want to go. And they said, well, if you dig a hole through the center (laughs) of the earth, you can pop out on the other side. So being, you know, five or six years old, okay, I can try that. So we grew up right next to a lake. Uh So the water table is very high. So it didn't get very far, but I got, you know, a couple feet down and then hit the water table. And that was that. So I said, well, when I grow up, I'm going to go on my own. I, I like that because I did the same thing. <laughs> but it was nowhere near a lake and nowhere as effective, I think. I was doing it like an apartment complex okay. or something. But that's, I, I love that, that the kind of mysticism about it because mm-hmm. we, I think we probably grew up in roughly the same time. And, yeah. But wasn't there, like, wasn't it kind of like special and like there's the dragons and like for me aesthetically, it was really, really fascinating as a kid. Yeah, and that was a reason I, I was kind of always had this kind of passion for that culture. But do you remember? Um, I remember they came back and they had all of the you know traditional costumes and everything, uh-huh. even from some of the you know hill tribe minorities and in the southwest. Yeah. And I used what they brought back as a Halloween costume, oh, and they kind of so got cool. into it. Yeah. Do you remember cooking with Yen? Do you remember Yen? He was like the the in the eighties. He in is he, that Martin? Is Martin that Yen? Martin Yen? Yeah. yeah. You remember him? Mm-hmm. So he actually has MY or had MY China in San Francisco, uh-huh. which shut down during COVID, but actually was one of our top accounts in no San Francisco. Way. Is MY China? Yeah. Oh, that's very it's cool. Like Mar- MY being uh-huh. Martin Yen. Yeah, that guy. He, he was on PBS all the time. I mm-hmm. remember watching it. It was it was another thing because he's going through the markets anyway. So it's yeah. it's kind of a rich, lush place, and had the privilege of going there. But all right, so. Your dad's a doctor, right? Or was mm-hmm. a doctor? Yeah. Any pressure to follow in those footsteps? Or he's no. like, you know, Bill, just you know, do what you want to do. Pretty much do what I want to do. Um, always encouraged me to get a 
good education, was yeah. you know, kind enough to let me go to Columbia and not have to, you know, have a job or take out student loans. So that was oh, very generous great. of him. They always supported education, but always supported me in doing what, what I wanted to do. So no, there was no pressure to be a doctor. I'm sure nothing would have made him happier. Yeah. And, you know, we did go to the clinic sometimes when we were kids and he mm-hmm. showed us, you know, how things worked. I even got to watch him do cataract surgery. Oh, wow. Before it was. He's ophthalmologist? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw them, like, that's really interesting, but like, I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a little, it's a little, little dicey, you know, it's, it's kind of, after watching Anshin Andalou, right, you know, mm. slicing up, I had a thing with people cutting on eyes, but, but I get it. And so you, how was New York? Cause I mean, since you're well-traveled, I imagine you probably adapted to it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Such a worldly city. And you've been there before as a kid too? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of bad, like, it's not that far from Florida, really. Yeah. When I went to middle school and high school in new england mm-hmm. went to boarding school so uh, i kind of wanted right? uh yeah i went Your to ish. high school in connecticut and then at middle school in new hampshire okay so i and also like in not the part of connecticut that's right close to new york either uh-huh. so quite rural uh, very quiet very nice so for college i was like i want to go somewhere in a big city and just a contrast yeah man that's what is i don't know anything about boarding schools what is that like that's kind of a broad question. What's Sorry, it like, is, it, uh, it was, is it too structured? I didn't think so. Yeah, um, I liked it actually. Yeah, but I liked the intellectual atmosphere there versus Florida. There you go. Yeah, I, I was never a huge fan of Florida. Yeah, I don't. Has anybody but, been a fan of Florida? Somebody must. They're <laughs> they're gaining population. Texas and Florida right now are actually gaining population. People are this leaving. People are leaving California yep. to come here, and they're leaving New York to go to Florida. They're leaving New York to go to Florida? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Lots of people. Like people from the city? Or yeah. People up? No kidding. Seems like a weird kind of conflict of beliefs going yeah. into Florida. Like, that. Hey. I just find it that way. Hey, everything's open. No state income tax. Yeah, good point. Same with Texas, too. Well, yep. Which is what? I'm saying similar thing. You've got the people from California yeah. fleeing that to come here, and right. people from New York are going to Miami. That's, that's so interesting. I had no idea about the Florida piece. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you're... The thing about being a worldly kid is I think that you don't ever see limitations in what you can do. Does that make sense? You know, that the world is not your oyster. That's too too easy of a term. But as you're kind of, you know, now studying that summer semester mm. in where in China was it Beijing? In Beijing. Okay. Yeah. How did you take to the the hardcore, bit, you know, business? Because law and those are kinds of things that are at, a little less at creative. At that point, no. Um, but I did take to like the hardcore immersion uh-huh. into the culture as much as i could yeah probably more than the other students so my roommate and i would go out somehow we were fortunate that learning to write characters wasn't terribly difficult for us really and for a lot of people it is yeah so instead of staying in the dorm studying we would just go out and hang out with working class people and practice speaking chinese with them that's awesome man. and you know drinking uh you know, 25 cent draft beer, having, you know, barbecue skewers um, of, you know, dubious quality. <laughs> yeah. And and that's when I first drank Baijiu, too. So. What were your thoughts? Because it's a similar thing for many mezcal people. Mm-hmm. You go, you're immersed. Yeah. Sometimes a beach, sometimes a market. But then you have that first step and somehow, somehow for many people, that's what just ignites their passion for them. But in this case... I thought it was horrible. That's what I was going <laughs> to... Yeah. I thought it was horrible. Yeah. I thought it was the worst 
spirit that I'd ever had yeah, oh shit. in my life. And that remained true until I tried Malort. <laughs> was it in Chicago? Uh, yeah. Okay. It it's that's that's a tough one because yeah. it's like, how did you pull? Obviously, it's a large boat and a large story, but how do you pull a one eighty to now make it a piece of your life? I mean, if you think about that. Mm-hmm. But so what? What I'm kind of interested too is many people in the hospitality industry, as I've interviewed over the years, they're one of the parents were teachers. Mm. There's a sense of like servitude there, you mm. know. And obviously, you did you intend on opening bars and being in the hospitality industry? No. So I, we were sort of getting into that yeah. in terms of asking, you know, did I always feel this drive to, to create things, yeah, to be an yeah. entrepreneur? And I said, well, originally I planned on being a lawyer. So See, I, it's a big circle, but I, it came. I, <laughs> I decided um, to take a year off between college and, and intending to go to law school. I spent a year in China actually. Mm-hmm studying Cantonese just to do something kind of like fun, low pressure. Language or cuisine? Language, or? yeah. Okay. So I lived in Guangzhou for a year oh, okay. Okay. after I graduated from college. So this was like 2003 to 2004. Mm-hmm. Just to do something like pretty chill and fun. And I was pretty burnt out after after college. Yeah. And then during that time, I had people that I knew from law firms that I worked in before that wanted to open a consulting firm in Beijing mm-hmm. for foreign direct investment and you know wanted me to work with them on this, especially kind of on the sales side, like having an actual American yeah. working as part of it and I could work with them. And one of them was a lawyer, so we'd like have that piece. And then, of course, we could outsource other legal work to other people that he knew. Yeah. So I ended up, instead of going back to the U.S., moving back to Beijing after that ended outside of girlfriend at the time who wanted to move back to Beijing mm-hmm. as well. I was 24, I, 23 mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, okay, what, what's, yeah, the, worst that could, yeah, what's yeah. the worst that could happen is things don't work out and I go back like next year yeah. to the US or something. Sure. So, so I moved back to Beijing and this whole consulting company kind of fell apart. Yeah that one of the guys who wanted to do it then decided not to, and then the other said, well, if he's out, then I'm out. And I'm like, all right, I just rented an apartment here. I just moved here. Like, mm-hmm. These Chinese folks are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, okay, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Well, I just rented an apartment. Girlfriend's here. I could probably, like, get a job here. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, like, work in a, in a law firm as, like, a, you know, legal assistant. They had, like, decent, you know, office jobs. You know, I wouldn't make a ton of money. I'd get mm-hmm. some more experience, and it would be a good thing for me to do. I could pay my rent. Sure, sure. So I started applying to some things and realized that just speaking Chinese pretty well and like reading and writing, I'd done like translation work and everything, mm-hmm. didn't really make anybody want to hire me. Whoa, 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 wait! That so all that work that you did, it wasn't something that was appealing to them. Not really. Wait, like, do you have the... any? Do you have any? You know, work experience? Ah. Like all this? No. Like I was, you know, just in college, and I was like studying Cantonese for a year. You know, I and, see. and I, I didn't seem, you know, I guess like a serious enough person for whatever uh-huh. reason. It seemed harder than expected to get some sort of quote unquote real job, and I had no interest in teaching English. So yeah, be the opposite of kind of why he set out to go there, right? Yeah, so I had I had no interest <coughs> in that. 
So I was like looking for jobs, putting applications, went to a couple of interviews, but I always like to, to drink. Mm-hmm. So I was like going to local bar and one night when I'm there, somebody's coming in to interview to work as a bartender there. Mm-hmm. So I like over here and you know, talking with the, the boss who I kind of got to know just being a regular customer. Yeah. So actually the guy left, like you're gonna hire him. He's like, no, for, for whatever reason. So, okay, well, why don't you hire me? Like, I don't have that much going on at the moment. You know, I, I hang out here anyways. Yeah. He said, well, I can't afford to pay a you know, foreigner's salary. I said, well, then just pay me the Chinese salary. Yeah, yeah. And so that's how I got into this industry. No kidding. Yeah. The, but you know, self-proclaimed, not necessarily a creative person, I think. Mm-hmm. At that point, the state of bartending was beer and shots by by your own shots like what's how difficult is it to bartend at that point like a rebel okay there you go <laughs> <laughs> not bad not bad like a rebel yeah um you know long island iced tea yeah so nothing that you felt super out of your depths on no the 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 challenge there and my, my starting salary was 1200 rmb a month which is the equivalent at the time of about 150 bucks a month oh wow like most people don't tip. There's no tipping culture. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, my condition was that I could show up a little bit later than everybody else showed up at six, mm. but they also provided dinner for them. I was like, I'll have my own dinner with my girlfriend. Oh, and oh, so I'll you missed up. out on that because you're coming in later. Yeah. You're saying? Okay. Yeah. So which one? No, I I wanted to miss out on that and just like have my own. Yeah, yeah. Do what yeah. I wanted for dinner. So I'd show up at eight, but I'd stand until close, and that I was allowed to drink as much as I wanted. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. That's a good gig. So I was allowed to drink as much as I wanted. I mean, it wasn't like top shelf stuff. Still, I, save you know, money. Any, line, anything right? I wanted, like out of the well. Yeah, I could drink as much as I wanted, and I could show up after dinner, and it was mm-hmm. a great way to meet tons of people. Sure, and it was fun. Uh, the challenge of that type of bartending, though, was just the amount of speed and volume. Mm-hmm. It was kind of physically exhausting. I mean, yeah. it's basically a dive bar. So, you know, not even the huge glasses selling drinks for a buck fifty each. Yeah. Like 10, 10 RMB, where I'd have to learn how to hold, you know, four glasses mm-hmm, in one hand, mm-hmm. four glasses in one hand, ice with the other, you know, put the ice in them, grab the vodka bottle out uh-huh. of the well, throw it up to do it, not even for flare. This is just because I have only <laughs> one hand free to throw it up so it does a 180 and grab it by the neck on its uh-huh. way down, vodka into the four, that down, then Red Bull, you yeah, know, all, yeah. all the. And then out of my left hand, sort of I like, like that was the type of bartending we were doing. That's cool, though. I mean, you have any have anybody have pictures of you back in that day? Yeah, I'm sure bartending they're, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting sure because you're cutting your teeth in a whole different way. Yeah, you know. So yeah. how that seems though, as you know, you said, kind of difficult on the body. Mm-hmm. You know, and as you get older, maybe more serious, whatever. Oh yeah, that becomes a little more difficult. So yeah, how I mean, long were like you doing that? Then. No, See, I which mean, is totally possible for, for, but, for some months, and then. The owner of that place, along with the DJ, who's a German guy who I got to know, mm-hmm. um, we teamed up to open a new place. And that became Kokomo. Oh, okay. So I opened that when I was 24. Damn. As a part of that. and so, But I still worked behind the bar uh-huh. with a team of other bartenders. So I wasn't having to do all the hardest work, but I was also like making drinks when I had to, making sure things were running well. Yeah. I was the you know like floor manager of the bar, if you will, mm-hmm. and a part owner, and like collecting the cash. Sure, and, you know, like to get. I'm not just my camera second, but to sure. get. So you have this experience with the contractual stuff, mm-hmm. contract stuff. How do you get? 
Was it a sweat sweat equity thing for you? That's why they brought you in because I know you could run the plays. You could do. Oh no no I, no! I invested. You did okay. Yeah. So did you have to raise for that, or it was no, in it was too the high? Costs were really low. Really? Everything was so cheap in China back then. Very different from today. What was the concept of coconut? It was a tropical rooftop. Oh cool, tiki ish or no? Like we didn't use you know Polynesian iconography or tiki mugs. I wouldn't call it tiki, but we had you know fake palm trees, mm-hmm. um, hammock. It was like tropical beachy, if you yeah. will. Did you wear a beach shirt? Sometimes. Sometimes on the nice on the nice days, yeah. And this is the gateway to with the next spot, right? So how long was Kokomo open? So Kokomo stayed open after I left, um, but I was involved until 2010. Oh, okay. And it stayed open for a couple more years. I see. After that, and uh, then did you? know what you needed to do next was it clear like what the next step was the next move the next thing that i started working on was actually black angus beef cattle in china so we're working with a team out of kansas city on recreating certified angus beef in china so i had that idea because there was no really high quality locally produced beef everything was coming from australia i didn't know so having been like we had food in kokomo too i mean it wasn't a serious restaurant but i had you know, some knowledge of the food industry in China and saw an opportunity for Mm -hmm. this. So I worked on that for a few years. And around that time is when I ended up drinking a lot of Baijiu. Did it improve for you? I imagine at this point quality was either better or you changed. Um, Yeah, so I guess to get back to that and why I hated it so much at first, Mm -hmm. I still don't like that Baijiu that I had. That was the dollar a bottle, super industrial. Uh-huh. It's what a lot of people are, are exposed to for the first place. Red Star, I even see it in Texas. Oh, I've seen it, yeah. Yeah. So that is the Baijiu of the people uh-huh. in Beijing. It costs a dollar a bottle for the big <laughs> bottle. For the small flask, it's um, like 30 cents. Holy shit, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was how I was exposed to Baijiu. And it wasn't until later that I started trying other Baijos and realized they're not all the same. Mm-hmm. It's not really just one thing. So we started having hot pot dinners with friends and we you know, try different Baijos and being able to read Chinese. I start looking at the labels, you know, what style of Baijo is this? Because it would say, and you know, what, what brand is this? What part of China is it from? So that's when Baijo started to become differentiated. For I me, see. That it wasn't just one thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I started to realize, okay, I like these. I, I, I don't like those but there so so this is one of the greatest parts about doing these interviews is i learned so much shit and i've had by joe good bad and different mm-hmm. high proof low proof all of it yeah. is there a different you know how with like sake mm-hmm. you get ginkgo you, you get the different kind of classifications or levels is there a, a level system to by joe or is it all it's all by joe that's it there's a categorization of styles of baijiu stylistic okay yeah and they're actually classified by aroma category so i actually brought four with me today which are the four main styles uh-huh. that hopefully we're both gonna try yeah for sure together and then each distillery in terms of the grades of baijiu uh-huh. will have you know different marks from low end up to very high end yeah including luzhalazia who makes ming river they have a product that's about the same grade as that red star that we're talking about. Different style of Baijiu, but kind of on that grade, it's also you know about a dollar Interesting. a bottle. And then they also have stuff going up to $300 a bottle. So it's both the combination, and I'm making that little thinking face for those, you know, because mm-hmm. you're in the room, but so 
aroma. That's one classification or mm -hmm. uh, aroma profiles, maybe. Is that a better way to describe it? Yeah, they just call them in Chinese xiangxing, which means like type of aroma. Okay. But when you say xiang in Chinese, it also means the whole flavor experience. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as, as you know, most of what we consider taste is smell to begin with. That's so right, I don't think yeah. it's completely inaccurate for uh, them to, okay. to talk about it that way. But it just means, you know, different styles of baijiu. And they're produced in very, very different ways. Each one is specific to a different region of China. How many uh, roughly distilleries? Is that, do they call them distilleries there? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there's you know, different names around So the there's about 10,000 distillers in China now. Good Lord. There was more like 20,000 if you go some years back, but there's mm -hmm. been some amount of consolidation. I see. That's Man, that's super interesting. So it's on a basic level, and then we're going to try this stuff because mm -hmm. it's got my, my mind thinking. From my understanding, it is a spirit made from grain, sometimes sorghum, right? Sometimes mm -hmm. rice. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Beans too? Is that? No, not. But peas are sometimes. Peas, okay. Peas are sometimes involved. Yeah. That's that's also fascinating. How the mm -hmm. hell do you ferment a pea? Now, this but is... the peas are actually going into the starter culture rather than into the mash. To basically make that yeast re reproduce, I guess? Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly what the peas do versus not using them yeah there's a weird there's a couple different acids uh uric acid is one that thinks okay. that peas. anyway not to get too scientific but that's okay so that's from a general category that's mm -hmm. roughly what it is does it have any do uh, denomination of origin no okay so good question each of these styles of baijiu originated in a different part of china okay and they originated in different places based on you know, the climate and the ingredients that are available in those places. And then also develop to pair with the regional cuisines, which is oh. traditionally how baijiu is consumed. Yes. Oh, that was what I was told, is that, you know, you always eat it with food when I was out there. Exactly. So um, food first uh, to develop the profile, or the profile exists and food complements. Does that make sense? So baijiu profile crafted first, then the cuisine in that area kind of matches, or is it opposite? I think at the same time. I see. Um, okay. But... Oh, for the last seven or eight hundred years, but Baijiu's only been around for seven or eight hundred years. Total. Okay. Whereas Chinese food has been around much longer, yeah. but not exactly in the way that we know it now. For example, Sichuan, where uh -huh. Ming River is from, which is the largest Baijiu producing province in China. Okay. So about two thirds of all the Baijiu in China is coming from Sichuan. Uh, I see. Okay. And I will get back to the yeah, no, no, sure. In a second. Um, so most of the baijiu in China is coming from Sichuan. Okay. And most of the baijiu in China is this strong aroma Sichuan style baijiu. So that's the name of the class is Sichuan? Uh, the, the class is actually technically called strong aroma. Okay. Nongxiang. The translations are sometimes sure, um, sure, unfortunate. Sure. Strong aroma doesn't sound so appetizing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> nongxiang also means like thick fragrance. It would be ah, another okay. way you could translate uh -huh, it. Uh -huh. Because that's that higher ester yeah style of baijiu cool. so that's the majority of baijiu in china and and most of it's coming from sichuan uh -huh. but there are strong aroma baijiu's produced outside of sichuan they can still be called strong aroma okay and there are also other styles of baijiu produced inside sichuan that are not of, that of style strong. so it's mostly overlapping uh -huh. but there's no deal where it has to be made in a certain place to be called a certain thing i see there is a requirement for strong aroma baijiu to have a specific ester count i was gonna ask in parts yeah. per million where if it doesn't reach that, you cannot call it strong aroma baijiu. So that exists. But it could be produced in Shanghai. And, sure. Yeah. And, and meet the... Yeah. So we yeah. both... The yeah, DOs are kind of complicated in, in this particular mm -hmm. case. I think that's kind of good. That probably isn't a DO. Yeah. But so because something that would be called strong aroma mm -hmm. 
you would think it would be relatively subjective based on whom is who is uh, judging it or classifying mm. it. So the is it a lab that dictates what it's called in the classification? Now, yes. Before was it just a group of people or before it was self-reporting, self-describing ah, I see. by okay. the distilleries, but meaning you know what production process are they using? Uh-huh. If it is this two to three month solid state underground fermentation uh-huh. that's the process used to make strong aroma baijiu then you know generally what I you're see. getting is going to be that Got type it. of product interesting yeah and then just to come back to Sifan, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. um in terms of the food changing over time you know a lot of people think that baijiu has been around for thousands of years i've even seen articles which is inaccurate because there was no distillation in china until right. seven or eight hundred years ago that's right there were alcohol Beverages in China for seven or eight thousand years, but not distilled beverages. Oh, so that's the difference. Is yeah. that distillation itself wasn't being carried out, although fermentation had been for correct. eons. Correct, correct. Oh, I think that's a but good one other thing too. is when we talk about the development of cuisine, a lot of people forget that chili peppers, which are a huge part of Sichuan cuisine, yeah. are not native to China. Where are they from? Africa? The Caribbean. The Caribbean? Caribbean oh. and Latin America. Oh. Um, I think maybe even what's now Venezuela. Uh-huh. Is the origin but some somewhere in the caribbean basin yeah and they were brought everywhere after christopher columbus came to the new world i see so when we think about sichuan cuisine when you think about indian cuisine yeah thai cuisine none of those had chili peppers until the last 500 years or less trade trade routes ultimately right correct yeah or empires british empire correct yeah. Correct. Yeah, interesting. I didn't even thought about that. Well, uh, gin was a byproduct of that too. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, sometimes we don't think about it. And I actually can't. You having lived in China, you know, a lot of experience there. I couldn't imagine the cuisine not having chilies. Yeah, but it didn't. That's so strange. They did have the Sichuan peppercorns, uh-huh. which are native, and they even use like certain types of one of the his, uh, historians at the distillery was telling me because I was asking uh-huh. him about this specific thing. A certain type of river fish that when dried would be like kind of naturally spicy uh-huh. that they would you know grind up and incorporate wow so and they did use a lot of ginger uh-huh. other and, kinds of and, peppery so they had things. other yeah. things but they didn't have the actual chili peppers that's that's fascinating yeah. so in terms of like how things evolve you know i think people forget that stuff has evolved a lot in pretty recent history right compared to you know the history of china being thousands of years that yeah. baijiu has only been around seven eight hundred years chili peppers have only been around 500 yeah, years or less there yeah that that's i i sometimes like we think that mezcal has been around forever right mm-hmm. and there's still no solid proof for the purposes of alcohol consumption yeah that distillation occurred pre-spanish occupation and then that's less than 500 years too you know and it's just it's really strange i think we put we put a lot of romance around yeah. these things we think that they're mm-hmm. just millennia. interesting thing with mezcal is i hear they talk about like chinese style stills uh-huh. in the well, it, filipino yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah they came from the philippines exactly uh-huh. yeah mutual con and Puebla. Mm-hmm. yeah it's and it came like it came to the philippines from china these styles still came yeah, to china from go. the mongols uh-huh it came from the Mongols, and it came to the Mongols from the Middle East, where actually alcohol distillation developed. Right. Then from the Mongols into China, China into the Philippines, and then <laughs> the Spanish took it from the Philippines to Mexico. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's, it's, I love that. And it's distillation is, 
you know, I say this sometimes that there's only really like two or three things that you have to experience in person. Mm-hmm. You can watch a movie on your phone, on a plane, listen to a record, etc. Yeah. But to eat and drink, you must truly be there. It's the last vestige of civilization, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And all right, so this is, that is, I suppose, maybe the perfect segue, but I have never tried the different classes or aroma types of Baijiu. And you have some? I do. Yeah, can we do that? I would love to taste yeah. through these with you. And you've got them, I think. Are they down there to your left? They are. Yeah, feel free to rattle around. I'll get okay. your mic out of your way a little bit. Cool. I'll set it up on this table here? Yeah, sure. Excellent. Yeah, so what I have here today are the four basic categories. There are 12 recognized styles of Baijiu. Okay. The other eight are either combinations or derivatives of the four basic styles. And the four basic styles on their own you know, are covering probably 90, 95% of the Baijiu that's okay. out there. So the vast majority, I mean, Strong Aroma alone is about two thirds of all the Baijiu okay. that's okay. out there. What's the rarest category uh, in terms of market appeal maybe or just market share might be hard to say i see yeah i'm just curious because i would i would expect it to be the most esoteric flavor wise mm, not necessarily mm. like there's one lobaigan mm-hmm. which is really just like a light aroma baijo but mm-hmm. bottled at a much higher proof i see i don't think it has a huge market and it's pretty much just one brand doing it there's mm-hmm. also Feng, literally western phoenix that's pretty much just one brand doing it and it's kind of like a combination of light aroma and strong aroma. It's quite I nice, see, I see. but and it doesn't have a huge market. Uh-huh. It's like, everybody knows it. I mean, it's not tiny. It's probably bigger than that super high proof one. Yeah, but it, I wouldn't call it incredibly esoteric. It's just falling somewhere, you know, in between a couple of the other categories. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. So yeah. I imagine you go light to heavy. Is that how you prefer to taste these? Yes. Okay. But not necessarily lighter on alcohol to more alcohol. Right. So, Flavor profile light to heavy. I see. Okay. Well, t- yeah, there's four. These are beautiful. Yeah. So we're going to start up here. with the rice aroma baijiu. I have some little cards you can look yeah, at from drinkbaijiu.com, which is actually our educational platform. I encourage everybody to go check it out. There's information about all kinds of baijiu there, not just Ming River. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, so that's the. F- then, oh, nice. And here's a little map of China so you can see the regions where these different styles of baijiu I see. originate. So four four main re- regions in this case. Yes. Cool. Um, but when we're talking about this DO and how Baijiu doesn't have to be made in a specific region to be called a style, mm-hmm. the first one that we're going to try, the rice aroma Baijiu, is actually made here in the United States. Whoa. So this is going to be the only Baijiu made from start to finish in the U.S. There are some others that where people are producing in China uh-huh. with a partner distillery and shipping in bulk to the u.s the and bottom it, area well in some cases even processing here oh with activated charcoal filtering to strip out some of those esters yeah and to make it quote-unquote more palatable for a western audience right uh, but they're not distilled in the u.s i see this vin is the only budget distilled in the u.s where, where are these guys located it's in wilsonville oregon oh or yeah i wouldn't be surprised at being oregon yeah. right and they are actually an ethnically Chinese family from northern Vietnam oh. who came to this country as refugees. Amazing. They have a seventh generation family recipe for making rice based baijiu. That's incredible. Yeah. So, rice aroma baijiu originates in Guangxi, which is right along the border with Vietnam. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Okay. It's a rice growing region. Mm-hmm. And 
it in some ways is going to be the easiest by Joe. Yeah. For the uninitiated. I see. So most by Joe's are single pot distilled. Okay. This is, I have glasses. Whichever here, you so. want to do. Well, let's use the Baijiu glasses. Yeah, okay. Or at least for you, I can use the other. Oh, no, that's, yeah. yeah. So, most Baijiu's are single pot distilled. This is triple distilled. Three times pots or plate? Three times pot in this case. Okay. There are some rice room advisors that use column stills. I see. Which is not acceptable for other styles. There are some, like, low-end... Um, by just calling themselves other styles that are uh -huh. using more industrial processes, but it's not traditional, it's not really acceptable. Legally, can you do it? Legally, you can, but legally, you can't use liquid state fermentation without labeling the bottle as such. I see. And there's been some scandals about this actually, okay. where people were using liquid fermentation, which is much faster, mm -hmm, much mm -hmm. more efficient for those low end products, and calling the product. Baijiu, mm. they have to actually say it's like liquid fermentation Baijiu now. They have to put a disclaimer on the bottle. That is, yeah, that's also, in the last couple of years, this has changed. Mm. Yeah, well, I get questions again. So, so this is going to be a nice one-on-one -on -one class for me. Yeah. And hopefully everybody checking so, in here. So this is Vin, made from California brown rice. There's some information on the card as well on yeah. both sides. California brown rice and then oh. triple pot distilled. Okay. So think of this almost like a distilled sake. That's basically that's what, what it's. It is. Yeah, there's that kind of what I'd consider in a positive way, vinegar, lemon, rind mm -hmm. kind of note on it. Um, very crisp, but also certainly acidic. It smells you, mm -hmm. and it's definitely going to be the most neutral mm. of everything that we're having. In many ways, it's much like a rice-based shochu, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a Japanese shochu. Especially if you have a somewhat higher proof one, mm -hmm. not very different, not very, not very strange, not very difficult. No, it's not. It's mellow. You know, you get a little bit of the huskiness from the brown. Not that they're using yeah. the husk, but well, actually, you have it's brown rice. Yeah. Um, there's a bit of that, which is nice. Yeah, it's a little drier than most rice from advisors you would get in China. Mm -hmm. Most of them in China are either white rice or sticky rice. Mm -hmm. White rice being a little bit sweeter than this, and the sticky rice being even sweeter than that. Yeah, it's it's nice. Very, I mean, super easy white wine-esque in terms of how light it is, you know, very refreshing. And so this is, there are though, because this, although this is made in Oregon, mm -hmm. do you suspect at some point it will become a problem with the, what could be a DO in China with Baijiu being made in the States? So here's the funny thing. Baijiu is not even a recognized category by the TTB right now. Uh-huh, right, yeah. We have to put spirits distilled from grain mm -hmm. on our bottles of Ming River, because the word Baijiu carries no meaning. You can put whatever you want in a bottle and call it Baijiu as yeah. long as you have another descriptor that says what's actually in there. Mm -hmm. There's a similar battle going on with Sotol right now. Yeah. As we're, so that's why I kind of ask. Yeah. But the crazy thing with Baijiu is it's the largest spirits category in the world. It's not recognized by the TTB. Sotol's right. not. No, it's one of the smallest in yeah. the world, probably. Yeah. There, there's over 10 billion liters of Baijiu produced 10 billion with a B liters of Baijiu producing every year on this planet. Yeah. And the TTB doesn't recognize it. That's, yeah, that's so, crazy, right? you know, to get to where the TTB would have a problem with it being called Baijiu, but it's made in Oregon, they first need to have some definition of what a Baijiu is. That's right. Yeah, they just don't have, they, it's not resonating with them. Yeah. You know, you mentioned liquid fermentation, mm -hmm. which to me is like, right, fermentation, 
but this would then suggest that there is a solid fermentation yes. or to get and most baijiu with the partial exception of rice aroma baijiu which we just had uh -huh. where they're making something like a rice porridge that's fermented okay so it's not fully solid i see all of the rest is completely solid state fermentation where they are steaming the grain uh -huh. so they're adding moisture content to the grain okay. and starting okay. to break it down soften it sure. a little bit yeah. through the steaming and then it's fermented in solid state like and a lump of something in solid state i can't i don't even understand all right so i'll, I'll I, show you some pictures yeah we'll have to we see because because it's it but there's no addition of water or there is still addition the of water. additional water comes through the steaming i see so all the moisture content gets into it through the steaming process that's insane and then the starter culture, the chu, uh -huh. which contains both molds that turn starches into sugars uh -huh, and yeast uh -huh. that turn sugars into alcohol. Chu actually is the same Chinese character as koji is. In I was going to say, yeah, yeah. But koji is usually in Japan referring more to the molds and then yeast is added separately at a, uh, right, at a right. second stage. But in China, it doesn't work that way. There's yeast and mold together in the chu. Oh, that's fascinating. So that's pulverized and added to the solid mash, mixed with it, and then depending on the style of baijiu, fermented in different ways for different amounts of time. We'll get into that loosely. It's actually a highly trained position to load the still. You have to train for five years to have that job. Wow. And you're mixing the grain with rice husks, which are just a filler uh -huh. to make the mash more porous. I see. Okay. So that steam can pass uh -huh. through it more easily. Okay. And you're heating it from the bottom with steam. And as it's heated, the alcohol vapors will rise faster than water vapors. Yep. That part is the same. Yep, yep. But because we're dealing with a solid mash, you have all of these kernels of grain uh -huh. in there. There's probably a million of them. Yeah. Each one is acting like a little bubble cap, where the higher up they are in the pot physically still, uh -huh. the cooler they are because they're further away from the ah, right source. right okay so you have reflux happening within this pot still uh-huh within this solid mash so you have this three and a half percent alcohol by weight mash uh-huh that's producing on average a 67 percent abv distillate coming out from a single pot distillation. oh because of the way that the grain is not stacked is probably the wrong word, word placed mm -hmm. and so to your point you've got things pushing harder because of more heat on the bottom mm -hmm. and less on top. And they're both kind of, it's actually rectifying the alcohol based on where it is on the actual pile of the grain. Yeah. Which is, that's just, fat, again, more and then, and then, of course, you have the vapors that started at the bottom that maybe when they reach the top, yeah. they they cool again, they recondense, and it falls back. The, the water falls back down, and the alcohol keeps going up. So you, so same, same idea like bubble caps. That's right. So you're, you're effectively, the grain is working for itself to rectify itself. Yeah. It's its own barrier. Mm -hmm. That is fucking fascinating. I've never heard that, ever. So, so, so you have all this reflux happening. It took us a while to understand this as well. And finally, we had to speak with the master distiller because the, most of the people we deal with at Lu Jiao are not the production people. Yeah. And they're like, well, we don't know. It comes out at 67%. And we're like, well, how can that work? It's a 3.5% uh -huh. you know, alcohol by weight mash. Like, well, it always has. <laughs> so it's, so we, you, complete pot still. Mm -hmm. Which would mean, I would think, that through the duration of the run, however long that takes, there will About be... two hours. Two, that's not too long, actually. That there will be varying alcohol levels 
through that through minute that, 20 that, that, minute 20. that's correct and they do cut the heads and the tails Got it. okay so they do actually cut okay. they cut the heads and the tails and then the tails the heads are usually tossed uh-huh. the tails they usually save and they'll actually put them in put them into the next mash uh-huh um this is all specific to y- strong y- aroma by yeah okay cutting the heads and the tails they do everywhere, uh-huh. but adding it back to the mash is going to be specific to Strong Aroma Baijiu as well. Yeah. And that production cycle where they're doing a continuous mash. Yeah, that's But incredible. we'll get to that in a second. We have something to drink before we Yeah, get let's to try that. this second so we're going to piece. try the second one, which is... Light Aroma. Jin Mangaliang, exactly. Okay. Light Aroma. Oh, 58 ABV. Wow. Yeah, so Light Aroma does not mean light alcohol. It's going to be the highest <laughs> ABV of them all. Second most popular Baijiu style. That's right. correct. Originated in northern China. So Jinmen is actually an island off the coast of southeast China, mm-hmm. currently controlled by the government based in Taiwan. And uh, Jinmen okay. Galiang is the most popular baijiu in Taiwan, but it's not a Taiwanese-style baijiu. It's a northern Chinese-style baijiu, much drier climate, uh-huh. sorghum-based. All the rest that we're having today are going to be sorghum-based. But because it's a dry climate, they have to do a relatively short fermentation dry is it cold there as well it does get cold okay Okay. it does get cold and a shorter and enclosed fermentation so the mash doesn't dry out enclosed as in what uh what what kind of material clay or wood so in this case traditionally clay jars jars yeah um you know about maybe half as tall as, as we are i see okay but then they also do pit fermentation of this style of baijiu uh huh in brick stone or concrete pits i see okay not like they mud do pits like okay so you can do it that way as well a neutral surface two to three week solid state fermentation and then single pot distilled mm-hmm. the mash is then re-fermented and redistilled once there's always a lot of residual sugars starches and right, sugars yeah uh, with the solid state fermentation, it's quite chemically inefficient. Uh-huh. So you have a bit of residual starch and sugar. Okay. So they'll add more of that to that starter uh-huh. culture to the mash after it's coming out of the still. And once it's cooled, they'll add more starter culture, re-ferment it, and then distill it again. Wow. And then the mash is done. It's mm-hmm. fed to pigs. Yep. It's actually a pretty good animal feed. Yeah. Distiller's grains. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, this is blowing my mind because... One other thing to note is that... Well, a lot of people describe Baijiu as Chinese moonshine. All of these are aged spirits. What is the typical aging process then? So typically aged in fired clay. Fired clay. So yeah. not uh, not sealed clay. Or in other words, there's... Well, no, it's semi-porous. It's semi-porous. Okay. Semi-porous. So you do want some interaction with air. Mm-hmm. There's typically an angel share, depending on where you're aging it. Typically, an angel share of about zero point eight percent a year. Okay, so much less than you have Some whiskey in whiskey and yeah, and scotch wood barrel, too. yeah. And, yeah, this, this and then of course with like you know rum, you'd have even more if it's like in a Caribbean, a very hot climate. You could be losing ten percent a year, just depending where it is. But typically, they want it in relatively cool, humidity controlled places with not super fast evaporation. Mm-hmm. And then it is much better sealed than in a in a wooden barrel. But you do have some angel share. You do have also oxidization of aldehydes, which is yep. very, very important. Very fruit, right. Yeah, and you're developing like a smoother mouth and throat mm-hmm. feel that way the, and concentrating flavors. This is pretty, pretty intense. It's super balanced and actually mm-hmm. quite light, just despite 58% ABV. Mm-hmm. But what I think is beautiful here is, and I don't know if this was intentional in the way that they define the styles, but 
the grains poking up more so you get a mealiness which is really cool mm-hmm. but it is perfectly met with that light fruit which is not overripe but semi-ripe tropical yeah, and, fruit yeah and this one and then i even get some stone fruit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this one as well it's yeah it's like apricot apricot yeah yeah exactly yeah it's exactly. not peachy or nectarine but yeah. apricot yeah yeah it's it's you think almost like dried apricots. That's right. That's kind of what I get. Textually, this it's just very interesting because it is, it's like that point in the movie where the bad guy is actually the good guy. There is a distinct shift in the palette mm-hmm. on this where it shifts from one profile mm-hmm. to the next, and it's almost binary in that sense. And I think it's it's just very fascinating. These are kind of flavors you get in mezcal and mm-hmm. rums, yeah. but this graininess you don't see in stuff that I in the states really. Yeah. I don't know anybody making yeah, it. And, and- you know, mezcal and rum aren't made from grain. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So to get this level of fruitiness yeah. from rice and sorghum, sorghum, mm-hmm. which is a very grassy, yeah. you yeah. know, thing, and when you use it yeah. for syrup and stuff here in the south, mm-hmm. yeah, this is fascinating. So this is. So I'm gonna recap because I think it's good learning. This is. You can send this to people and say this is kind of bijou is, but so we have the rice aroma, which was the first out of yes. Oregon. Now we have number two designation or classification, which is the light aroma. Yeah. Okay. Which this is. To me, a little bolder than light. That wouldn't be the word I'd use. You right. know what I mean? It's, it's bolder than light, but it's light compared to strong. Okay, which we're gonna perfect. Do next. Good. Yeah. Can't wait. Mm. So when you start getting into stuff like this that tastes like this, it's so complex. Mm-hmm. The category starts to make a lot more sense. Yeah. You know. And so as we kind of venture into number three, when did you conceive the idea of Ming River? Because you're having your experiences, you've got some bars. I, I know that there were a lot of distilleries that reached out to you because of Capital Spirits. Yeah, so that's exactly how it came to be. Is they started sending people to Capital Spirits, which was a Baijiu bar that we opened in Beijing, just as a, a hobby. It was not a business the way Kokomo was a business. Uh-huh. It was a tiny back alley speakeasy. Yeah, where we were serving Baijiu by the glass, like we're drinking it right now. Sure, which was kind of a crazy concept in China, where Baijiu was always sold by the bottle. Mm-hmm. And we did Baijiu cocktails for people that weren't ready to drink spirits straight. Mm. It was just for fun. And everybody said we were crazy. How could you serve Baijiu without food? Yeah. How could you, and we had peanuts, but that's it. Sure. How could you put right. Baijiu in a cocktail? That's right. That's there, what I get. Textually, this, it's just very interesting because it is, it's like that point in the movie where the bad guy is actually the good guy. There is a distinct shift in the palette mm. on this where it shifts from one profile mm. to the next. And it's almost binary in that sense. And I think it's, it's just very fascinating. These are kind of flavors you get in mezcal and rums. Yeah. But this graininess you don't see in stuff that I, in the States, really. Yeah. I don't know anybody making yeah, it. And, and, you know, mezcal and rum aren't made from grain. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So to get this level of fruitiness yeah. from rice and sorghum, sorghum, mm-hmm. which is a very grassy, yeah. you yeah. know, thing and when you use it yeah. or syrup and stuff here in the South. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is fascinating. So this is, so I'm going to recap because I think it's good learning. This is you can send this to people and say this is kind of by is, but so you have the rice aroma, which was the first out of yes. Oregon. Now we have number two designation or classification, which is the light aroma. Yep. Okay. Which this is to me a little bolder than light. That wouldn't be the word I'd use. You right. know what I mean? It's, it's bolder than light, but it's light compared to strong. Which okay. we're gonna Perfect. do next. Good. Yeah. Can't wait. Mm. So when you start getting into stuff like this that tastes like this, it's so complex. Mm-hmm. The category starts to make a lot more sense yeah you know and so as we kind of venture into number three when did you conceive the idea of ming river because you're having your experiences you've got some bars i, I know that there were a lot of distilleries that reached out to you because of capital spirits yeah so that's exactly how it came to be 
is they started sending people to Capital Spirits, which was a Baijiu bar that we opened in Beijing, just as a, a hobby. It was not a business the way Kokomo was a business. Uh-huh. It was a tiny back alley speakeasy yeah. where we were serving Baijiu by the glass like we're drinking it right now, sure. which was kind of a crazy concept in China where Baijiu was always sold by the bottle. Mm-hmm. And we did Baijiu cocktails for people that weren't ready to drink spirits straight. Mm. It was just for fun. And everybody said we were crazy. How could you serve Baijiu without food? Yeah. How could you, and we had peanuts, but that's it. Sure. How could you put Baijiu in a cocktail? You know, this is never going to work. Mm-hmm. But somehow, because I guess it seems so strange and crazy, and it was white people doing it. Yeah. We had people start showing up in the alley with cameras before we opened, wanted to take pictures of us. And then we ended up in a bunch of local media. Yeah, wow. And then people from distilleries started showing up and saying, you guys seem to have found a way to connect with demographics that we thought could never drink Baijiu. So, you know, women mm-hmm. who don't normally drink Baijiu were half of our customers. Yeah. Younger urban Chinese were, you know, it was all young and urban and about half our customers were chinese mm-hmm. and the other half were non-chinese people wow. and they thought westerners would never drink baijiu mm-hmm. but they come to capital spirits they even line up outside wow these guys are, are on to something and so they they sent people in suits to beijing to meet with us and asked us if we could help them take their products out of china mm-hmm. we told them on no yeah, I remember said, that. No, this interview is no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, we were just doing this for for fun. And we all had other careers outside of Capital Spirits. What were you doing at that point? I was working with a beef cattle. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So that was, you were making a pretty good living doing that. And then... I, I wouldn't say I was making a pretty good living, but it was a scalable, <laughs> it was a scalable project that I was invested in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, you know, I didn't see... The Baijiu bar as a career. It yeah. was it was fun, and I thought it was meaningful to introduce Baijiu to a lot of people that wouldn't otherwise really have a chance to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see it as becoming a career. But the people in the distilleries kept coming, so finally I said, "Hmm, you know, maybe this is an opportunity we shouldn't be passing up." Mm-hmm. So I spoke with my partners and said, "Maybe." there would be a way to capitalize on this. So we decided to create a consulting company mm-hmm. together with Derek Sandhouse, uh, who wrote a whole book on Baijiu, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and who actually we met in Beijing in 2014 and kind of inspired us to open the Baijiu bar. Mm. So re- I reached out to him and said, Derek, we're thinking about working as consultants for the Baijiu industry. Would you like to be part of this? At that point, we had no idea that we would actually create a brand mm-hmm. but we thought we could help chinese distilleries you know market their products yeah it's just great abroad yeah i mean you're kind of just almost brokeraging it you know for these folks but then but but also like we would work with bartenders in the u.s and marketing firms right and pr and to, to, as a category spread mm-hmm. the thing which is, is a great way of thinking. right right and a, a lot of people don't think that way right so that's what we wanted to do derek said yes so that was great so then we joined forces the people from capital spirits bar and Derek joined forces, and I went out actually to Tangjiuhui, which is the uh, the Chengdu. It's like WSWA of China. Yeah, it's like Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America, mm-hmm. giant trade show, and started talking to people from these distilleries with you know presentation, who we are, what what can we do to help you, yeah, and got into talks with some of them. 
who were pretty interested. And while we were speaking with them, got connected with Luja Lajiao. And they said they wanted to work with us, but not as consultants. But they actually wanted to team up with us mm -hmm. to create a new product specifically for Western markets. I see. And that was more interesting to us than taking, you know, Maltai and selling it in the bottle that already comes in mm. to actually design something from the ground up. Yeah. Tailored to the needs of the markets that we would want to be selling. How, how did you, because it's, it's 90 proof, which is a smart move. Mm. Was that intentional and in that that's kind of the sweet spot for cocktails, but also for sipping? Is, is those kinds of things that you, you wanted Ming River to be? So we did a very... lot of research because um, I'd never had an alcohol brand or sold alcohol before outside of, you know, owning bars yeah, and being right. a bartender. I'd never been on the other side. But we were able to work with somebody named Don Lee, who at yeah, the time was running Momofuku's Cocktail and Spirits mm -hmm. program. So he was actually in my class at Columbia. Oh, y'all went to school together more yeah. or less? No yeah. shit. We were, yeah, we did. <laughs> no kidding. So I reached out to him when we had the opportunity to do this project. I said, Don, would you be willing to help us on product development, specifically in terms of the, the spirit itself? So we, or he, put together a team of like 12 or 14 bartenders mm -hmm. in New York who would be taste testers and give us feedback on everything. So we worked with them trying things of different proofs, trying different blends of yeah. flavor profiles, all Lujo yeah. yeah, and not flavored or not adulterated in any way. Right. But, you know, they have distillates that have different flavor profiles. Mm -hmm. Everything they're producing is, is a blend, and we wanted to produce a new blend that would work here. Mm -hmm. So we actually did four rounds of tasting and revision with Don and his crew to arrive at the final decision and that ended up you know being yes 45 percent abv mm -hmm. and having this flavor profile and then also the price point that we did quite a bit of market research that we didn't want it to go over 25 dollars a bottle yeah wholesale yeah it's it's, it's smart and 35 retail the bottle's beautiful we all did a custom mold for that right we did yeah. uh we were very fortunate to work with an excellent packaging designer mm -hmm. out of manchester in the uk oh, you nice. said you yeah. like britain so, yeah, yeah, so it's a british packaging designer which one is it it's uh chris edmonds from united creatives yeah i've heard of this yeah there's some yeah. similar folks in the industry that have used them yeah it's 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 nice man it's, yeah. it's very, very so i actually took him to china and brought him to the distillery and to the distillery's museum where mm -hmm. he could look at all their historical packaging and then also to the uh, Jinshan Museum in Chengdu, where they have all sorts of archaeological relics. Yeah. So give them some inspiration. It's it's great to do that with aesthetic, because I because I think when so kind of shifting on, but obviously you have to pay homage to the place. Yeah. And it, it to me it does. I've not been to to that area of China, but mm. and all this stuff super regional. So you've been in other parts. Of China. Yeah, I've been to Shanghai. I was stayed oh, there cool. for like two three weeks, which cool, was cool. not you know, but it was something you get yeah. to kind of smell it. Of course, it smells different. Of course, you know, of course. Like, but we've got two more categories, and for yes, the fourth right. one, I've got a question for you, which I'll ask you, and, and then that'll be kind of how we wrap this thing. But so okay. number three is the strong aroma, which you've alluded to a yeah. lot. And that, and that is our product. So this is Ming River. This is the juice that 
Don helped develop mm-hmm. with his team, and it's coming out of the bottle that we were just talking about. Although it's in one of these little oh, okay, cool. bottles now, but it's the same stuff. Oh, good. So this is a beautiful transition. Yeah. So we're, we're both cinematographing here right now <laughs> to get this thing moving forward. Yeah. So strong aromabizer, as I was alluding to before, is a two to three month solid state fermentation. So light Jesus. aroma was two to three weeks. Uh-huh. Now two to three months, and rather than being in clay jars or in brick stone or concrete pits it's in mud pits and they're allowing yeast molds and bacteria to grow on the walls of the pits over years decades or in the case of lucha even centuries so they have four of these fermentation pits that have been continuous use Mm -hmm. since the year 1573 so for over 400 years that's fascinating and when we're talking about adding some of the tails back into the mash Mm -hmm. And how it's a continuous mash what that means is each production cycle each two to three months they're only adding 20 or 30 percent new grain and the other 70 80 percent is reused so before. god only knows how so it's old. like a sour mash where uh-huh. the majority of the mash is the sour part yeah that's somewhere in there's the mother you yeah. know what does it smell like in one of those fermenters it's no i mean it smells kind of like a brewery okay yeah so not not as funky as i'm imagining it Kind of musky. No, yeah, kind of musky, yeah. kind of sweet. And, uh, yeah, when I was talking about the silage and yeah. uh, you know what we feed, fed the the cows, it smells kind of like that. Okay, so, I see. Yeah. It's very grainy. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. This is I'm I'm excited because if, if I remember correctly, this has some even heightened ester qual- qualities to it. Oh well, compared to the light aroma, absolutely. Yeah. So if this doesn't oh, hit the required parts per million, I can't pull the number out of my head at the moment. Yeah, sure. For ester count, then it can't be called a strong aroma advisor. Then it just becomes a light aroma or something else. Wow. So yeah, it has to be this. You know, and I'll go back to this. And the, every now, this would be the identifying aroma. I think for me to understand mm. this classification, but it is absolutely that white gummy bear, mm. the Haribo white one. That's it. And you know, not that there's not more depth of flavor than that, but that it's just that super crazy oceany tropical mm. smell. You know, and who would have freaking thought? That just making it funkier and moldier, more or less, would mm. give you more beautiful notes like this. It's kind of unbelievable. You know, a huge part of that is coming from the the specific yeasts and molds that are in that chew. Mm-hmm. So that's the one place in the story that I can't get into. My boss can't even get into is what they call the chew room, where they're propagating that starter culture. Mm. That's the secret sauce. Mm. Yeah, and that has a huge effect on on flavor. Oh, there is a. This is interesting. I, I get this one note in space, not space, uh, Campbellton scotches a lot. Mm. There is a mushroom, farmy, straw, umami flavor at the mm. end. Not a flavor that you see in spirits very much, but. You're going to see a lot of in the next one. Okay, perfect. Because <laughs> I remember the You're first just time. You're getting a little bit here. I, well, I can see the progression with these flavors as they're kind mm-hmm. of lurking out, yeah. you know. But I remember eating a century egg when I was there. Mm. And I was like, Okay, well, this is a new part of the flavor that I have yeah. not experienced before, and that's kind of what's coming through. Slight aroma, ammonia, you know, yeah, yeah. just a touch of it. Just a touch. Uh, so before we we try this last one, I'm gonna like my ending question for, for mm. all the interviews. But does this stuff will it ever touch a barrel? I wouldn't suggest that it does, but is that something that it you, has? It has. It has. So there have been experimental by Joe's, including one that's done through another joint venture with Lucha Uh huh that um, is barrel-aged strong aroma by Joe. It's called Longhui. 
How is it? I personally don't like it. Is it a, is that a happy marriage between Oak and I and personally don't like it. Uh-huh. Uh, the reason being that I find strong aroma Baijiu has so much flavor and aroma and complexity already. Yeah, doesn't need the oak. Yeah, and I feel like it it then has something else going on, but it's not really a marriage. It's the kind of going in two directions. Right, right. At the same time, however. I had tried one other experimental baijiu, which was a light aroma baijiu um, of the style, the second one, although this was actually from Shanxi, where the style originated. This is Fenjiu, which is the original North China light mm-hmm. aroma baijiu. And it was aged in ex Chardonnay barrels okay, by okay. Uh, Grace Vineyards, which is actually a, a French invested winery mm-hmm. there that's probably one of the best wineries in china and i thought that was really nice interesting but in this case you were using much lighter aroma baijiu Mm -hmm. so it was not as estuary it was not as funky Mm -hmm. to begin with more neutral it's not a neutral spirit but much more neutral it's cleaner i mean yeah you know it's uh, the only thing i think that could even potentially work is something really really musky like Mm. a saturn or a px Mm-hmm. That that maybe could wrestle, allow the fruit, mm-hmm. but wrestle with that kind of dark mushroom umami cake yeah. flavor. Uh, I don't know, but that's it's just yeah. They we didn't, but you know, in the lighter room, you're not getting so much of that like dark. Exactly, you get none none of it. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. more it's more crispy, grain, yeah, yeah. fresh grain. And then with these extra Chardonnay barrels, also I believe it was only aged three months or so. Ah, okay. So it was just like kind of you know touch. straw color, just a touch. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice product. Yeah, interesting. I, I like that. Okay. So, so those are the only two wood barrel aged baijos that I've had. There may be a couple others out there yeah. that are also experimental. It's traditionally not. Done. Yeah, yeah. It's just I had a thought because this is new. This is all new to me. As you can yeah. see on my face. So, all right. So I got one more question for you. Mm-hmm. And I, you more of a movie guy or a music guy? I guess a movie guy. Okay. Okay. So. We're gonna, and I love that the, this isn't this is trivia. Called, is no, it? it's not trivia. It's not okay. trivia. <laughs> this is I love that this you know this fourth region or this fourth fourth classification is called sauce aroma. Mm-hmm. I like sauces. <laughs> Saucier is a very very esteemed mm-hmm. career, right? So going back to cinema, let's, let's just talk about cinema. And then no no trivia here. This is just for okay. you. So I'm let's nervous. <laughs> no, no no. So let's say you're sipping this last baijiu mm-hmm. with any deceased actor or actress. Who would you like to sit anywhere in the world and have a drink with? With this last, yeah, it's it could be this last mark. It could be Ming River. It doesn't matter. It's just the conversation, the cocktails. Who would you like to hang out with? Ernest Hemingway. Oh, yeah. You and, think he drank by Joe? So that's the funny story. Is he did? There's actually a story of him in Chongqing. Oh yeah. I know he's not from the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh. Well, a story movies, of him yeah. in a story of him in Chongqing, where he outdrank several people. They couldn't believe it. They were trying to get him drunk, and yeah, ended up passing out. Yeah, so apparently he did drink Baijiu. Yeah, I'm not surprised by either that he drank Baijiu, and then two that he outdrank everybody. Yeah. All right. So the sauce aroma. I love this. This is a really, really interesting classification. Yeah, and, and speaking about sauce. The sauce here doesn't just mean any kind of sauce. Specifically, means soy sauce. Oh, great! Okay, yes. that's even better. Yeah, 
which is a nice um, umami flavor. There is no soy product of any kind in this. Yeah. Again, it's just sorghum. Uh-huh. Wheat-based starter culture. Oh, that's the same as the last one and yeah. the one before. So why does this end up being umami where the last one was fruity? Mm-hmm. Different yeasts and molds, uh-huh. but then also very different process. Eight to 12 month solid state fermentation Lord. in brick or stone line pits. So kind of like some of those light aroma bijos. Yeah. No yeast molds and bacteria growing on the walls of the okay, pits. Okay. Not a continuous mash. It's a fresh mash uh-huh. each time. But eight to twelve months, and during these eight to twelve months, the same mash is refermented and redistilled for a total of eight times. I see. Okay. So that light aroma by Joe, where they're refermenting and redistilling the mash once, here they're refermenting and redistilling seven times plus the original, so a total of eight times. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Yeah, and through this process, it develops those umami and also kind of the caramel mm. to me. Notes. I'm excited to, yeah. to taste it, and then it also gets from like sesame or nuttiness. Yeah, so. no, that's, that's like right up my it has, eye. It has a lot going on. Okay, well, this is good. Oh, this was fresh. I watched this one. Okay, yeah, either way, sure. Although I love your beautiful glasses there. So the last category: sauce aroma. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, come on. This is crazy. Holy shit. This is... You know, when remember when you were talking about like these, you know, earthy, mushroomy notes, you're like, well, you don't normally see a lot of that in spirits, but we see a little bit of that in, in the mirror. Like, you're going to get a lot more here. Oh, my God. That's, that's a, it is describable, but at first it's indescribable because these scents and aromas and spirits I've never wrestled with. I mean, it's like kombu... Yeah. broth mm-hmm. um, the thing that you know from cuisine that's exactly right yeah it, it's flavors that you have been exposed to before but not in spirits no you can smell that saltiness mm. man mm. I you know those dry sesame crackers mm-hmm. yeah it's very much like that not mealy but if they were just dipped in soy sauce and then there's a pinch of the alcohol fuminess, like a cooking a yep. cooking wine. This is ri- this is ridiculous, man. I don't have anything. <laughs> oh, and then you're talking about the caramel notes? Mm-hmm. It almost tastes like Oloroso sherry finish mm. and how those umami notes, those mushroom notes, yeah. dried grapes and stuff. Mm. This is fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. It's, it's fun stuff. This is crazy. You ever going to venture into the other categories? Um, So not outside of our educational efforts. I see. Simply because... Like most distillers in China, not all, but most, is very focused on one style of mm-hmm, baijiu. So mm-hmm, Lujo Laojiao mm-hmm. is actually the originator of the Sichuan style of baijiu. Mm. When I said they're you know, producing for over 400 years, they don't make other styles of baijiu. We have sense. an exclusive partnership with them. So while we may develop you know, a more reserve um, version of Ming River, it would still be a strong one. Okay, got it. This is, Again, you got me perplexed. I love this. I love when this happens. It's like there's this thing with Krusty the Clown on The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. I use this all the time. He says, I can't get high on anything, so I just start sniffing moon rocks. <laughs> right? So it's like this is the this is beyond crazy, yeah. but balanced and delicious. So I appreciate, one, the education and the knowledge and you sharing. Of course. Um, this is fucking fascinating to me. And I know exactly the people that will want to know this information too, which is really cool. But so you're in Texas. How's the rest of the visit look here in Austin? 
Uh, we'll, we'll have to find out. But yeah. I'm I'm certainly looking forward to uh, tonight. I have to say, just to give a shout out that uh, the last time I was here, and Ming River is in there at Tiki Tatsuya. Oh, brilliant! I thought it was one of the best tiki bars anywhere that I've been to. Hundred percent. So I'm agree, really looking yeah. forward to getting back. Yeah, it's it's a great spot. Mike and the team over there do a really good job. Well. Bill, it's been a pleasure learning, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's absolutely astonishing stuff. We'll sip a bit more, and I want to see some more pictures, but yeah. hopefully I'll see you soon, yeah? Cheers. Thank absolutely. You. Thank you. So there we have it. Bill from Ming River spending that time in Beijing just wanting to speak Chinese and not being able to find a job. I guess a lot of us have seen that story before. And this is just incredible category. Again, for those of you who like those exotic flavors, you get everything in these four categories. These taste, these aroma categories. You know, it's really interesting. From light, fruity, to deep, musky, soy, mushroom. Just really, really culinary flavors. And for me, this could not have been more of a pleasure to learn and taste along. I think Bill's kind of leading the way here in the States and helping people understand what Baijiu is all about. I would go and pursue it. Taste it. Taste things that you haven't ever really been comfortable with. I think it's just a remarkable category so far. And the stuff we got to sip is far better than any other Baijiu I've ever had in my life. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V. Thanks for bearing with me in such an educational episode. Many more to come about our favorite spirits. No matter if you're just catching up on Top Chef and finding about all the scandal with Gabe, or if you're thinking, I cannot wait to go see the next installment of BMC down in Austin, Texas at Half Step this evening. Please keep dancing.